Good morning, church. How we doing this morning? We doing good? Yes. Well, welcome this morning. Let's have you stand to your feet if you would. Ephesians 3.20 says, He is able to do far and above all that we ask and think. We serve a God who is very capable. Amen? We're going to worship together this morning. We encourage you to sing out. If you're at home watching the service this morning, we welcome you as well. God is able, oh God is able, and he will never fail, oh he is almighty God, greater than all we see, greater than all we have, oh he has done great things, lifted up, he defeated
Take your seats. Well, good morning, church. Man, it's so good to be with you this morning here at church. And if you are a guest, I just want to say welcome to Salem Heights. Thank you so much for being here. We are really thankful to worship with you this morning. We've got just a couple of announcements, and we wanted to kind of highlight it is Memorial Day weekend. And uh, Memorial Day is a day that we spend in remembrance of those who gave their lives defending our country, defending our freedoms. Uh, we know for some, Memorial Day is a hard day. It's a, it's a day that kind of brings up the feelings of loss. Uh, but we also are thankful for those folks, for the freedoms that it has provided for us as a country. And so we want to just be, as a believer, grateful for that. And I can't help but think that every time we think about the, the loss and the sacrifice that was given to earn freedom here in America, it just draws my mind to the cross and Jesus Christ and what he gave for our spiritual freedom as followers of him. And so we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for those who have served. And I'm thankful to live in a country that still has freedom. And so thank you to all those who uh, gave their lives for that. Hey, the second thing we wanted to do this morning is uh, we've been highlighting all through the month of May, every Sunday, different missions, uh, organizations, and partners. But this Sunday, we have a little bit of a different approach. This Sunday, we want to highlight the fact that this summer, we will be having Vacation Bible School for our kids here at Salem Heights Church. Yeah. Those are all the parents that are saying thank you for something to do this summer. That is going to be July 6th through 9th, so it's a little bit different. We're actually doing it the first week of July this year, and uh, we are going to have all the things in line so our kids have a great experience. A lot of it's going to be outside. We're expecting beautiful weather. Uh, but the theme this year is called Destination Dig, Unearthing the Truths About Jesus. And so it's for kids four years old through fifth grade. And uh, what we're asking you to do, registration is open. So parents, you can go online today if you haven't already done it and register your kids. All the information about the, the whole event is going to be there. But you know, uh, typically every summer we're sending out dozens and dozens of people on mission trips all throughout the state, the country, and into the world. The, the world hasn't opened up quite yet for us to do missions like we have. We'll get there eventually. But what we're saying is this summer we want Vacation Bible School at Salem Heights to be our church mission trip trip for those who call Salem Heights Church their home. And so what we're asking you to do is we're asking you to consider being a volunteer this year. There are so many ways that you can serve uh, in, in, in ways where you're with the kids, uh, apart from the kids, but we need a lot of help because we're anticipating a great turnout and response. So we're inviting you Salem Heighters to consider this morning serving at Vacation Bible School that first week in July. There's actually information on our church website under registrations where you can find out more about how you can serve, but we would love to see so many of us saying, this is how we're going to serve this summer, serve our, our families here at Salem Heights and all those who will come uh, be, being invited by their friends to hear about Jesus Christ, maybe for the very first time. So we wanted you guys to know about that. Vacation Bible School registration is open, and we'd love for you to consider serving this summer. Well, we've got one more announcement this morning, and for that I'm going to invite up Pastor Justin. Thank you, Pete. Whoa. Am I on here? Can you hear me now? All right. 
That's always good when they ask that question, isn't it? Am I on now? Uh, man, yeah, and I hope you guys are excited about VBS. I was uh, watching AJ actually be- break into the Hallelujah Chorus back here on his guitar for a moment. So uh, we have some awesome things that are happening. I, I, from time to time, we have to bring you also some family news. So for those of you that have been a part of Salem Heights for a long time, uh, one of our uh, dear friends and pastors here, Pastor Carl, Chica, and Laura, uh, have visibly not been present for a short season, and they sent a letter that will be on our website. We want you guys to be able to read that. Uh, but during quarantine, they actually moved from their home to uh, Independence. They were in the process of that move before quarantine. While moving over there, they settled into that community like uh, almost all of us uh, began to meet in homes, doing uh, home church, and that has turned into something. And so they send us this letter. It says, Dear Salem Heights family, you've been home and family to us for many, many years. In your loving care, we raised our precious children, and God lovingly used many of you in different ways to grow each of us. You graciously allowed us to lead and care for you as you did for us. Words cannot express how much we love this church. As much as we deeply love Salem Heights, we do have a greater love, our Lord and Savior, who bonds each of us together in unity through his spirit. It is our love for him that has led us and our pastoral and leadership team through this time of transition into a new season of ministry. Our desire in unity with the leadership team is to continue to minister the gospel in our community and in the greater valley, United in our desire to be faithful to the call and to mutually support each other in love and in the bonds of peace. Therefore, it is with sorrow but also great rejoicing that we share with you today that God has called us to minister outside of Salem Heights Church. We believe that God in his sovereignty desired to move us from where we would not have gone ourselves. He has called us to ministry in new ways we had not imagined and has reignited a passion for ministry, forged through trial to be a growing source of light in this community. We ask that you continue to pray for what God is doing and our faithfulness to walk according to his will and not our own, knowing that we will always have a loving family in each of you for further support, care, and mutual blessing makes our transition more joyful. In the darkening chaos of our culture, we will need each other more as together we seek to live in the light and to live as beacons of truth and hope for the lost. We look forward to how God will use all of us for his kingdom. Says we love you, Carl and Laura. What we wanted you guys to hear as a church, and and you know how uh, gossip can harm, uh, but when you put stuff out in the light that the Lord can use it as a blessing. Amen? We want you to hear these three things. We bless this move, we bless and support Carl and Laura, and we believe that God is in this, all right? So with that heart, let's continue to worship this morning. Well, I wanted to um, read out of 1 John this morning, chapter 3, as we head into the rest of our, our, um, our worship this morning. Um, It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. 
And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. We have one that we are looking to and one day we are gonna see face to face and all of this stuff is gonna matter no more. But of course, we still have a job to do, amen? Amen, so let's continue to worship this morning. And how great the chasm that lay between us and how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night and then through the darkness your loving kindness saw through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written oh jesus christ my living hope who could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me Savior, I'm yours forever. Oh, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the Began to breathe 
Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to We've got a new song for you. We'll keep you on your feet here just for a second. You'll recognize the chorus, I think. It goes like this. What gift of love could I offer to a king? What weight of worth could be held within my offering? When he alone is worthy. A glory song is inscribed upon my heart. This treasure held in an alabaster jar. I break to bring him all the glory. Here's the chorus. Praise God from whom all This verse with this. What sacrifice could be equal to his own? The cross of Christ has declared that there is not. I owe, yet I know I owe.
Take your seats. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to the day when I see Jesus face to face in the place that is inexpressible, right? That's what this song talks about, that one day it's going to happen. It goes like this. Oh, one day you'll make everything anew in Jesus. And one day you will bind every wound. Says there's no more tears in that place. The former things shall all pass away. There's no more tears. Oh, one day you'll make sense of it all. Oh, Jesus, in one day every question resolved. And every anxious thought left behind, there's no more fear. And when we all 
get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. One day, and one day we will see face to face. Jesus, is there a greater vision of your race? And in a moment we shall be changed, oh, on that day. And one day we'll be free, free and deep, oh, Jesus. And one day all this struggle will see. And we will see your glory revealed It's on that day And when we all get to it What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all Father, we look forward to that day of victory. We know because your son is victorious that we as well will be victorious. Because he overcame, we also have overcame. God, we are so thankful 
to be your sons and daughters, to be those that have an eternity future that is so bright and so wonderful. Even Paul says that no matter what we face in this world, it's nothing compared to what's ahead. And we believe that. God, I pray that that gives us confidence to move forward in the works that you have for us and what you have called us to. So we pray that we would be about that. God, I would pray that your word uh, would sink deeply into our hearts today, that we would learn, that we would reflect, and that we would worship as a result of hearing it. We pray that you'd help us now to hear from you. In Christ's precious name, amen. Man, I don't know if you uh, spend much time thinking about the songs that we're singing, but uh, imagine when we all get together in heaven, how uh, we say, yeah, what a day of rejoicing that will be, but uh, man, there is no boundary up there to the way that we'll be able to sing. I thank, uh, thank God for our music team, but uh, I can't sing as good as they can, and uh, <laughs> I, I would be a little shrieky in the back if I made an attempt at it, but someday it'll be on pitch. I'll be able to join them just as uh, excited and uh, sing as well as they do. I can't wait. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 27, and uh, once again this week we're going to have a, an extended reading, and uh, I, I want you just to think about it this way, um, why would I rush through what God has to say in order to get to what I have to say? All right, so I want us to see this because uh, the portion that Pete worked through last week, and he did such an amazing job. Weren't you thankful for that? Yeah. But the portion that he worked through last week is part of one great big unit, and now uh, it's starting to, to come to an end, the book of Acts. And so there's a series of stories, uh, true events, things that actually happened, uh, but the book kind of winds down, and I think it does so intentionally. But to set our minds in the right place, I, I want us to just think about a couple of things. Chuck Swindoll, in a book called Paul, uh, His Grit and Glory, um, says this. He, he says, uh, I want you to name for me the last five political Pulitzer Prize winners. Who were the last... Six, Academy Award Best Actors. Who was it that last won a Nobel Peace Prize that wasn't from the United States? Do you know these people? Can you name the top ten, uh, um, you know, gold winners from the Summer Olympics that we recently had? Not that we're going to almost have, Maybe. Can you name the top 10 influencers online? How about this list instead? He says, can you name two teachers who made a difference in your life? Can you name three friends who were there for you during a difficult time? Can you name a mentor who believed in you and thought of you as someone worthwhile when others were in doubt? Can you name five people you enjoy spending an evening with just because they're fun to be with and you admire them greatly? 
Name three or four heroes, living or dead, whose lives have inspired and encouraged you. How'd you do with that second group, that second list? What is the difference? It has everything to do with that personal interaction that uh, those momentous occasions were something that were in the arc of your life as well. We have all these people. We might even stand in awe of influencers or money makers or gold medal winners, but they don't stick in our minds the way that somebody, an average person, does. And you don't want to know, by and large, this auditorium is filled with average people who matter much to a great God, and you actually matter much to others in the room. It might be that you made the second list in somebody's life. In fact, I am pretty sure that's the case. Even though you don't have a gold medal, you're not a top 10 influencer to my knowledge. If you are, I'm super sorry. I just don't recognize you. But on the other list, you matter. Paul is winding his time down. And I want you to think about this. Average people are quite often found in the byways, not on the highway. And here is Paul getting pulled off of the main highway as a super apostle and getting stuck in these side currents, it looks like, at the end of his life. And you would think, God, why aren't you doing a better job of managing his life? And I would submit to you that God, in fact, was managing the trajectory of Paul's life so that the message would be exactly what we magnify today. So are you ready to read this? Now, once again, we're going to sit just because it is a prolonged section, but I, I'm going to add just a few moments of commentary through here. I want you to actually just take a moment, take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, share the disease. <laughs> I didn't think through that. For I, I'm sorry. Um, chapter 27 and the first part of 28, we're going to read this, and I want you to just imagine for a moment that you're on the ship with Paul, and it starts this way. It says, when it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, now remember, Paul has been uh, imprisoned for the gospel. He shared his testimony before kings. They said, you have to go to Rome. He says this, when it was decided we were to set sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. By the way, when Scripture puts a, a name in there, that's somebody you could go and check in with to prove it. So for years, those names, those people were still alive and could back up the account. When we had boarded the ship at that place, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports all along the coast of, the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go with his friends to receive their care. When we put out to sea from there, we sailed along the north coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and he put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days with difficulty, we arrived off of Snidus. Since the winds did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmone. 
With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now by now, much time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous since the day of atonement was already over. Paul gave his advice and told them, men, I can see this voyage is headed towards disaster and heavy loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but of our lives. Now, just a side note there, it says, since the day of atonement was over, that's interesting for two reasons. First, the Jewish sailing calendar ended five days after the day of atonement. Uh, Poor winds always would meet them on the Mediterranean, and so as Jewish sailors, they would not go on the sea at this point in time. Um, It was when the winds would switch and put them in a bad place. But also, it's interesting, because at the day of atonement, or the day of the fast, they would read the book of Jonah. Two things happen in the book of Jonah. A great sea storm puts them in peril and reveals to them God's will for Jonah's life. And a second thing is, it's an entire book that is about going to the Gentiles and sharing with them the opportunity to be able to get right with God. It's an important season. They would have read the book of Jonah every single day of atonement. Man, I can see this voyage is headed toward disaster, he says. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, facing the southwest and northwest to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and they sailed along the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called a northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. And after running under the shelter of a little island called Cauda, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Fearing that they would run aground on the Sardis, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way we were driven along. So now they've lowered anchors in there. They're dragging it along the seafloor. It says, but this way we were driven along because we were being severely battered by the storm. They began to jettison the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and a severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. Since they'd been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, you men should have followed my advice and not sailed from Crete. That's always wonderful to hear from a, a prisoner, right? <clears throat> and sustain the damage and loss. Now, I urge you to take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe God that it will be just as the way it was told to me. But we do have to run aground on some island. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took soundings and found it to be 120 feet deep. When they sailed a little farther and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep. Then fearing that we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. 
Some of the sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down a skiff into the sea, pretending they were going to put out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff, and they let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And after he broke it, he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and took the food themselves In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they sighted a bay with a beach. Now, the reason this is important, in that 14 days, in the darkness of the storm, they have been blown 600 plus miles off course. They were intending to go around the edge to another harbor. They ended up getting blown all the way through the Mediterranean, almost to the destination that they were shooting for. They just made it there months and months ahead of plan. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. And they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach, But they stuck in a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast. It remained immovable while the stern began to break up from the pounding of the waves. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape. But the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. So he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest were to follow, some on planks and others on debris from the ship. And in this way, everyone safely reached the shore. Once safely ashore, we learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire. They took us in since it was raining and cold, and Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. He's just having a delightful two weeks. (laughs) When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man is no doubt a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected he'd begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. Now imagine the group of people looking at Paul just watching. I don't know if you've ever been in that spot, but that's an uncomfortable place to be. They waited a long time. They saw nothing unusual happen to him, so they changed their minds. And they said, he's a god. Now in the area around the place, it was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went to him and prayed, laid hands on him, and healed him. And after this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us. When we sailed, they gave us what we needed. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered on the island with the twin gods as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. And one day, south wind sprang up, and the second day, we came to that other place. (laughs) And we found 
brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. So we came to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Do you believe that's actually true? It happened just as Luke wrote it. I just want us to to jump up and take a a large view of what is happening in this chapter and in the, the preceding chapters. And the reason I want us to take a larger view is I want us to, instead of just drilling into the narrative, I think there's some important things for us to see here. Uh, But I want us to also take a look at the the landscape, what God is actually doing in this narrative that prepares us for today. Because remember, the book of Acts is a book of transitions that takes us from what happened in the Gospels to what's happening in the church today. And there were some significant transitions that are happening. But the intention is that you and I would have some principles. We would see some things that God does, how he works. So there's a couple things I would have you observe. And the first thing that I want you to see from this message, and if I go back even to last week, and for those of you who weren't here, we looked at uh, chapters, the end of 21 through 26, this narrative of Paul's life and his defense for why he shares the gospel. If we go back even there, I want you to notice this. Throughout this entire journey, God provided time to season his, Paul's, message. Um. In chapter 22 and in 26, Paul tells his testimony. Uh, In Acts chapter 9, we hear the very first time that Paul was converted. He gets knocked down. He hears a voice. He sees a bright light. uh, He actually is interacting with Jesus Christ. It is such a convincing miracle in Paul's life that he's willing to give his life for the gospel every step of the way, all the rest of his days. Right up until this moment, Paul shows no fear that he's outside of the plan of God. No matter what happens, he is driven by the force of that moment to reckon with the the idea that God has called him for this season to be a preacher. But throughout the book, from Acts chapter 9 all the way up until 28, as Paul shares his story, even as he shares information with people, a couple of things are really evident. The story becomes clearer. I want you to think about this in your own life. How many of you can remember the moment that you gave your life to Christ? How many of you can remember a significant moment in your life where you encountered a crisis and you weren't sure how you were going to get through that, but then you saw the Lord deliver you? Now, in the the week or two right after that, you might have an idea of what happened. Six months later, you might have a little stronger idea of what happened. But 10 years later or 15 years later, all of the other chaff that surrounds those moments just starts to drift away. And the significant moments become clearer and clearer. The more that you tell the story, the more clearly you can see what it is that God did. The story becomes clearer. The significant moments become clearer. But also the providence of God becomes clearer. God's clear hand in your life becomes clearer. This is what's happened in my life. I can remember when I was young, there was, I've told you many times, a a guy by the name of Charlie Allison who came to our house. He shared the gospel with my folks and got kicked out. 
He came again the following week, said, hey, great talk last week, guys. Uh, let me tell you about Jesus, why you're a sinner, hell is real, and you need him right now. And they said, we do not want to hear you. But if you'll leave, we'll go to church on Sunday. How crazy is that? So they showed up to church on that Sunday, and this last week marks the anniversary of the time where my mom and dad, my brother and I, all came to Christ. Age seven, hearing the gospel. Now, I didn't follow the Lord strongly in my junior high and early high school years. Anybody that would know me from that season would wonder, how in the world would you end up a pastor? <laughs> my own family has wondered that. How, how did this happen? As I look back on that, in fact, I had run so hard against the Lord for a season that I actually for a while thought, you know what, I don't think I was really saved. But Philippians says very clearly in there that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And I watched the hand of God not only break me, but bring me back to a place where in my senior year of high school, I ran into a group of people who were unwilling for me to move forward without changing. And, and through prayer and preaching, I listened to uh, these folks. I broke, bent my knee, and said, Lord, I know you're calling me to go into ministry, whatever that takes. But that story gets clearer to me through time, not more faded. Disney, a short while ago, um, did a kind of a biopic, but it was a, a story that they had put on the movie screen called The Finest Hours. But in there, it was about the rescue of the men from the SS Pendleton. I think we have a picture here of the broken ship. One day uh, during a, uh, a giant storm that was on uh, the sea, in fact, it was uh, a, a, like a northeaster. It was one of those moments where it came in and it battered the ship. It brought in snow. Uh, the waves were 65 to 70 feet tall. And instead of um, breaking down the lines where they were welded on the ship, it actually broke the ship in half against the welds. It broke in half. Some of the men on one end of it were lost. The other piece, uh, the bow of the ship, they had uh, some people that were up there that were able to get to the top of that, 33 men in all. Another ship had been foundering, and a bunch of people were able to get out there. Uh, but because of where this was located, coming out of uh, Chatham, uh, it was going to be very hard to be able to reach it. They had to cross a bar that had multiple sand shoals, and they would have to time their boat going over it because it was too shallow when the waves were gone to be able to cross and too aggressive when they were tall. So they call up a guy named Bernie Weber, and they say, Bernie, we want you to go out and save these men. And everyone is concerned. He said, I don't want to ask people to come with me. This is a suicide task. And a group of guys said, well, are you really going to go? And he says, well, the Coast Guard only says I have to go out. They don't say I have to come back. <laughs> I'm picking four guys to go with me. So they loaded into a 30-foot boat. I think we have a picture of the boat here. 30-foot boat. He's in the pilot house. There's an engine down in the middle that's supposed to withstand being able to be rolled but with four men in the 30-foot boat, it was only made to be able to save 12 people at a time. They make it out through 65-foot waves. At one time, they get knocked sideways. The wave hits them so hard that the glass shatters and embeds in uh, his co-pilot's forehead. He's going through all of this danger. They're 
facing all many, so many incredible trials. They finally get to the bow of the ship and they only see one light. And he thinks, we came all the way out here to die and there's only one guy left? He says, how sad. He said, we'd be safer on the stern of that boat than in this little thing. But all of a sudden, when the light struck his boat, what they call a Jacob's ladder came over the side and they threw it over the edge. And man after man after man began descending the, the, that ladder. It's a rope. Hanging off of the end, he would pull in close. One man would bail off and either hit the, the boat and make it or roll off into the ocean, and they would grab him and pull him in, warm him up. And in the front end of that boat, there's a hold up there that's meant for storage. They started stacking these men. One, two, three, 10, 15, 20, 30. 32 men in all in the front of that thing, and they began making their run back. In the Disney show, they start singing a sea chanty in order to be able to get courage. But what Bernie and his men actually were doing was singing Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Let me hide myself in thee. They said, we're all going to die, but we're doing what God's called us to do. They caught one giant wave, and it blew them right past over the bar, landed them into a place where there was only eight-foot waves, and they made it all the way back into safety absolutely mind-blowing, just blowing. When they talk about it, they still smile to this day. Why is that important? Paul was in a storm, and it was a storm, as he looked back on it, was a clarifying moment. And in many of our devotional times, we just blow right through this. We don't see the importance of it, but God had seasoned his message so with just a few words, with just a few thoughts, he could tell you how he came to Christ, why he was here, and why you should give your life to him. And God had given him clarity in the storms of life, not in the smooth sailing. In the storms, it became clearer who he was and what his calling is. And folks, I think it's the same for us. There's one thing that Chuck Swindoll reminds us, though, as we tell those stories it's hard to convince others of your joy in Christ if you have a jail warden face. Act happy. Very quickly, there's a second thing we see in this passage here, and that is God used testing to magnify his message. Remember, as we're reading, and uh, just use your memory now because of time, <clears throat> he is sentenced to go to Italy. He is strapped to a centurion. He's experiencing storms. He is shipwrecked. He is snake bit. That's the definition of a headwind in life, okay? That feels a little bit like somebody's trying to tell you something. If we're just going to interpret signs, we would say Satan is against me. Isn't that what you've heard before? Or this is the fingerprints of the enemy. But instead it was God at work. Surviving that with grace and grit the way that he did it led to a moment of selfless service and gospel magnification. God saved 276 men, specific number. The centurion wanted Paul to stay alive. The gospel was preached throughout all of uh, Malta. There is still a, a monument to that moment. God is testing Paul, not in order to harm him, slow, or, slow him down, or stop him, but in order to magnify the message and prove it was from him. Tony Evans says it this way, brokenness is a blessing because it puts us on the road to a breakthrough. You actually, in the moment that you encounter those tough times, are headed towards some blessing if you yield to the Lord. But there's a final thing that I want you to see in here, and that is God-guided transitions 
help transfer his message. You know, Paul is coming up to the last chapter, the last half of the chapter in this book. And just seven years removed from the last chapter of this book, Paul's life would end. So how do you keep the momentum from a great man of God going into a great movement of God? How do you keep that momentum? How is it that you're actually able to continue that story? I think that God used these transition moments to highlight the we in the story. Remember, Luke is the one saying, we were stuck. He has these men from Alexandria and Macedonia and other travelers that said, I don't care if Paul's a prisoner. I'm going to ride with him no matter where he goes. And they're going out and they're sharing this story. The key question that we should ask ourselves in both of these last observations is this. Is it only Satan who causes a slowdown or a redirect? Not in the book of Acts. Sometimes the brakes are pumped by Christ. Sometimes he says, stop. Why? Because if you keep going, you'll get the glory. But if I stop you now, I'll get the glory. And it actually will magnify. It will do something far greater. Paul encounters many hardships, many moments where he's even encountering doubt. If you just on your own would write down 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In there, that's that famous passage where he says that he's experienced all of these abuses and all of these hardships, but I'm not downtrodden, I'm not destroyed. But he does in there say, I faced discouragement and hardship, and I didn't feel like I could get my feet going uh, the right direction, but God saw me through it all. That's a key marker of a transition. Terry Walling, in a book called Finishing, he uh, has a series that he walks people through to help them face transitions in life. Sometimes when we come up against hardship, we think we've just failed. But God actually describes hardship as a way he gets you to let go of the side of the pool and begin to hang on to him. What are the signs that you're in a transition, Terry says? If you're experiencing restlessness, if you have a season of prolonged confusion, confusion about what you're supposed to be about or what's going on, if you have new or resurfacing self-doubt, you might be in a transition, a lack of motivation, prolonged inactivity or paralysis, diminished confidence, a lack of clarity. Now, you could be facing discouragement along with this, but quite often in these moments of transition, instead of you failing, instead of it being about you not getting life right, it actually has, it has all the signs in Scripture. Now, by the way, he gets this uh, Robert uh, Clinton uh, a guy that uh, actually studied 5,000 great men of God in Scripture and in history said these are the characteristic traits of a transition in each of their lives. 5,000-man case study. Restlessness, prolonged confusion, a lack of clarity, diminished confidence. What's happening in those moments? Any of you that have taken uh, swimming lessons remember the moment when you were little, right, where the lifeguard had taught you to jump into the pool, get comfortable with the water. You can blow bubbles. You can kick on the side of the pool, but you're still hanging on to the pool, right? But then comes that infamous day where they say, we're going to go out to the middle now, and we're going to show you you've been learning things that will help you swim back to the edge. And you were super excited about that. Usually not. 
As they pull you away from the edge of the pool, your fingers are hanging on super tight until what happens? You, you feel, first of all, I'm afraid. I don't know how to kick. I don't know if I'm going to float. I don't know if I'm going to make it. As they're pulling you away, you transition from hanging onto the pool to turning around and hanging on to the lifeguard. God does this in our lives, folks. There are things that you hang on to for security that you no longer need. You don't need. There were things that the people in Paul's life were hanging on to that were coming from him, they thought, that actually were not coming from him. They're coming from the Lord. And God revealed in those moments, you don't need Paul, you need Jesus. And he pulls us in those moments of transition away from those things that we find security in, and he puts us out into the deep water so that we'll hang on to Christ and the cross alone. Why is this an important word for this morning? I think that I'm looking at a sea of faces who have been encountering transitions in this last couple of years. What is it that you used to hang on to for security that you no longer can hang on to? What are you fighting for that you used to grab onto and say, this will keep me safe? Is it possible God's pulling you away from that so you'll turn around and face him? William Faulkner said this, he said, you can't swim for new horizons until you have courage to lose sight of the shore. Paul lost sight of the shore for 14 days, and the result is the church transitioned into the age that we've received. I just want us to lower the lights for a moment. I want to drive this point home as we go. I have here a little bag of uh, light sticks, all right? I know that's super fun for someone but what you have to do with the light sticks is you actually have to break that bag open. You have to separate the light stick from the package. And then you have to break it and shake it before it starts to give off light. But when it does this, uh, the package tells me this one will last for up to six hours. When God moves in in your life and you feel in that moment a little bit of breaking and shaking, can I ask you to consider one thing? Instead of blaming, instead of being bitter, bothered, overwhelmed, instead of looking for Satan behind every single action, why don't you look up to the Lord and say, Lord, how is it that you want me to give you praise and advance the gospel in this season? He wants to do it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to be able to see what happened in Paul's life. Father, help us to see what's happening in our own lives. And help us to walk away with a passion. Father, to allow you to guide in a season where there's a headwind, where there's trial, where darkness can descend, where all of the stuff that we used to hang on to can seem so far removed from us. And yet, Father, in the Apostle Paul's life, we, we watch him go through those seasons and cling more closely to you, be more driven to be in your presence. But we also see the people around him more impassioned, Father, to share the gospel, more heightened in their senses, their awareness that you are the one that wins the day. And so... Father, we pray also in our lives that we would see the same result. Help us to see you at work, to pay attention to those things that have your fingerprints on us. 
Uh, Father, help us to share our story in light of your good news. Pray that you would enable us in Christ's name. Amen. Folks, we do have questions that we uh, write just to help us to kind of drink those in. I'd encourage you during this next week, find somebody to walk through this story with and encourage. Thanks for being here this morning. You're dismissed. the name.
I believe. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one. I believe I overcome by the power of his blood. Amen. Amen. 
47 says, God reigns over all the nations, for he is seated on his holy throne. For the kings of the earth belong to God, and he is greatly exalted. I search the world But he couldn't feel me And man's empty praise And treasures of faith Are never enough Then you came along Nothing 
let's sing this to him. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good 